Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. How are you all? Calm down. Calm down. You know, I wonder... I wonder how much energy we give each and every day to just keep up appearances. You know, on... At best, we would call it um, faking it till we make it. But at worst, it's, it involves deceit. It involves lies that we tell to others because we have this desperate need inside of us to not let anyone know that we're falling apart on the inside. You look at any photo on social media and all of them have filters. And remember when filters used to just highlight the sunset, like add a little infrared into the photo or something. And now we've got filters that actually make you look like a whole different person. And, and we're using these things to present ourselves to the world around us. I mean, at best, it's just, we just try to keep people sort of at, at arm's length. Like we let them know a little bit about us, but not everything about us. And, and sometimes there's no, we see that so apparent in the church. Like we can walk into a church on any given Sunday and the question will be asked of you, how are you doing? And the, the church response is what? Fine. How are you? I'm fine, how are you? And we keep everything just so surface level, and yet, if we were honest with one another, we would have to admit that we're struggling in some ways. We don't want people to know that we've failed in all the things that we've told them that we're working on. I'm really trying not to watch that stuff on the internet. I'm really trying not to do that on the weekend. I'm really trying, and then, and then when they ask how you're doing, we lie because we don't want people to know that we're falling, that, that we're failing, that we, we don't want people to know what, that we're struggling on the inside. And, and no matter what happens, it's almost like we, don't, we can't let people know. And this, this is um, not just, I think, my story. I think it's some of your stories as well. I, I live like this. I told someone a long time ago that um, my marriage got 100% better when I stopped lying to my wife. There's a bunch of men wanting to nod on the inside, right? But too many wives are looking around at this point. Like when I just stopped lying and just told her the truth in all things. You know, when we lie we begin to, and, and try to hide things from other people, we just begin to pull away. And we begin to isolate ourselves 
um, from one another. We isolate ourselves from God sometimes too, but when we begin to isolate ourselves from individuals, from people we know and love, um, researchers has, has begun to teach us that when a person is chronically isolated from others, when we keep people so far away from us, that the health detriment is akin to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Like if I'm gonna have that negative health from being nice, I would just rather smoke cigarettes, say amen. <laughs> because I miss smoking cigarettes. Can I just say that in the church? <laughs> like I miss it so much. <laughs> but we have this, this desire, we isolate ourselves and the negative um, detriment to, to us takes place in our, our physical lives. It takes place mentally. If we don't have people around us encouraging us and pushing us forward, we'll begin to listen to the negative self-talk You'll never change. You, you, you have done this before. You're always going to be like this, right? And those words just begin to play in our minds. And then spiritually, we sometimes find ourselves even pushing God aside. I don't have, if I can't let, you know, my best friend know about me. I certainly can't let God know what's going on. And let's be clear, God knows what's going on, yes? But we begin to push him aside. We stop going to church. We stop praying. We stop our spiritual practices. You, you name it, and, and we do this. I think it summed up best. Someone wrote it this way. They said, when we are in the dark, we hardly notice the smudges on our shirts. But when we step into the light, we see even the faintest of stains. And so it's just easier for us to stay in the dark. If you have a, a Bible with you, I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, if you look underneath the seat around you, you can find one there. We're back in our study of Luke. We're starting a new chapter, Luke chapter 5. Um, and I want you to know a little bit of Bible story or Bible bibliology, if you will, um, as we move forward. So if you're new to scripture, if you're new to the Bible, there are four, we call them gospels in the New Testament. So your Bible has an Old Testament part and it has a New Testament part. And in the front part of the New Testament, there are four gospels. We call them um, biographies, if you will. They're the, the stories of Jesus' life. And they're written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You've heard of these, right? And each one of these authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the story of Jesus. They tell us the story of his birth. They have um, his relationships, stories of his relationships with other people, stories of his ministry. We see uh, Jesus marching towards Calvary on the cross, giving his life as a ransom for us. Hallelujah for that. We see his resurrection. We see his commissioning of the disciples into apostles and telling them to go into the world and proclaim Jesus to the world. We see his ascension. We see all of these things in the gospel. But each one of these writers, they come at the story of Jesus sometimes with a little different emphasis than the others. Each author has its own motive for telling their part of the story. And I bring this up specifically because sometimes you'll see that the Gospels read like they're telling the same story about Jesus, but the details are a little different. 
See, sometimes the authors of these stories, they're not putting things together chronologically. If you were to write a biography about someone, you're gonna start at the beginning, when they were born, where they went to school, and do everything chronologically until they die. But the, the gospel writers don't all do that. They're, they're less concerned about the chronology of the story. They're more concerned about the themes or the ideas or the things that they're trying to teach people about who Jesus is. Now, because of that, sometimes when you read the same stories, through the Gospels, you see little different details. And sometimes people use this as an excuse to say, aha, see, there's discrepancies in the Bible. Was it 4,000 or 5,000? Was it five fish and two loaves or two loaves and five? Whatever the thing is. Or I thought he already met this person. Why is he coming back? And so we see these little bitty differences and we assume they're discrepancies. And when we see the discrepancies, some people say, well, aha, you can't trust the Bible. But I want us to do this today. I want us to, to think of the Gospels as individual stories all read together as a unified story about Jesus. And I bring this up for a couple of reasons. Because we're going to read about Luke, or Luke is telling us rather, where Simon Peter is having an exchange or an interaction with Jesus. And um, let's just jump into it, can we? But uh, before we do that, let me pray. I don't want to rush. So let's pray. <laughs> thank you, Lord. We thank you. You are so good to us. We love you. We ask that you would bless our time. Open our eyes. We say this every week here. Open our eyes and our ears so that we can see and hear what you have for us. Lord, help us to um, understand more about our lives and uh, as we read the story of Simon Peter and his interaction with Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I bring this up because when we read the story of Luke, um, it doesn't carry as much weight, this interaction that Peter is having with Jesus, until we understand that this is actually the third time that Jesus has had an interaction with Peter. So when we read in, I think it's uh, Mark's gospel, maybe Matthew's gospel, I, John's, I don't, it doesn't matter. Listen, I, I didn't write it down. But this is, what, this is how we know. Peter has been introduced to Jesus already through his brother Andrew. Andrew was one of the disciples to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And Jesus saunters by one day and John goes, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. And so Andrew comes back to Peter and says, oh my gosh, we have found the Messiah. We have found the chosen one. And he tells his brother Peter, says, you need to meet this guy. And Peter and Jesus have an exchange. So he's met him one time before. Secondly, we see this story in one of the other gospels where, where Jesus invites Peter and his brother Andrew to follow him. He says, I want you to come with me. So they do, they go with him and they follow Jesus to Capernaum where Jesus is teaching in the synagogues. Jesus is teaching every Sabbath in the synagogues and Peter begins to see Jesus as a teacher, as a rabbi. And then they leave the, the synagogues and he sees him heal a demoniac or a, a person who has an unclean demon spirit inside of him. So now Peter has an inner interchange with, with Jesus where he sees him not just as a teacher, but as someone who can heal, who does these spiritual miracles for people. Peter leaves, takes Jesus back to his own house. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. This is kind of great, it's Mother's Day. His mother-in-law is sick with a fever, and it's not like, we have to think in, in biblical understanding here, when, when the author is telling us that Simon's mother-in-law has a, a fever, it means that she's 
probably days away from dying. This is a bad situation. And Jesus goes with Peter to his house and he grabs Peter's mother-in-law and, and raises her back to health. And Peter's mother-in-law begins to serve them and to serve Jesus. So he has an exchange with Jesus as a teacher, as a healer, as a healer, a, a sign and wonder miracle worker. And then he has this exchange in Luke chapter five with Jesus. And I think this is the one that makes all the difference. And if I could thrust this heavier towards you, this is the, inner, the exchange that I want you to have with Jesus. I want you to know him as a teacher and as a healer, but I want you to see him the way Peter sees him in this verse because it changed his life. And I would argue it will change your life as well. Starting here in verse one, of chapter five, it says that on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, him is Jesus, while the crowd is pressing in on Jesus to hear what he is saying, Jesus is preaching and teaching the word of God, that he was standing on the lake of Gennesaret. Is that how you say that? Anyone? Doesn't matter. I'm just going to say it fast and boldly, right? <laughs> he was standing next to a big body of water. It's called a lake. And Jesus is standing there. It says, and while, verse 2, and then Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and the fishermen were on the shore, and they were what? They were washing their nets. Now, this is a significant detail that, that Luke gives us here because um, we'll learn soon that the fishermen had been out all night, been fishing, and they hadn't caught anything. But the washing of the nets just means this, that they're preparing the nets for the next day's fish. That they're, they're, they're mending the nets, they're cleaning out all the kelp and all the other stuff that might be in the nets, and they're hanging them up to dry so that tomorrow when they go back out, they'll be able to catch fish again. I want you to hear me when I say this. If it were me that Luke is writing about, and Jeff had been out fishing all night and caught nothing, the word would say, and Jeff was selling his nets. <laughs> not mending his nets, not cleaning his nets. I'm for real selling them because I ain't got time for this garbage. Think about it. I think this is one of the character traits that God is looking for in people who would take the message about himself to all the earth. The people who would work all night, toil all night, not seemingly produce any results and yet get up the next day and do it again. He tells Peter later that I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. How many people have gone out and actually shared the gospel with people before to no positive effect? None. And then you get up and you go do it again and again and again. The washing of the nets, it just teaches us something about Peter and Andrew. I know this, I'm not gifted evangelistically. I love to teach people about Jesus, but I'm not really one to go out and just talk to people at the mall about Jesus, right? I'd rather you come here and stand in front of me so I can do it. It's a lot easier for me this way. But here's what I do know. Even though I don't have the gift of evangelism, um, as a child, as a young man, I, was a, uh, I loved music and I, I was an artist. I loved those creative things. And so when God got a hold of me, he used my creativity. He used the music that was inside of me. And he used me in the church to bless his body through my talents. With, with Peter, for example, he, he blesses the church body because of the gifts that Peter has. He has a tenacity like only fishermen have. Right? Right? 
And with me, he used the artistry that I have, the, the musicality that I love. And I wonder how he's thinking, or wonder what you're thinking, how God is going to use you with the gifts that he has given you. It says, verse three, that he gets into one of the boats, which was Simon, Simon Peter, and he asks Simon to put it out a little bit from the land. And then Jesus sat down and continued to teach the people from the boat. Um, Jesus, with all the crowds, had been pushed up against the sea here, and he couldn't carry his voice from this side to this side. So he asked Peter, if you just push me out a little bit further, then everyone will be able to hear my voice. And so Peter obeys, and he, he put, puts his boat out, and Jesus begins to sit down and teach the people. Verse 4, it says, though, when he had finished teaching, he turned to Simon Peter and said these words, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Notice here that he's speaking to Simon. He's speaking to Simon Peter. He asked Peter to do something that Peter knew, wait for it, was wrong. It was wrong. Fishermen don't fish during the heat of the day. <laughs> you fish at night when the fish come up to, towards the surface. When it's hot out, they go deep into the water. And so Peter's thinking to himself, Jesus, I mean, whatever, whatever. <laughs> but you don't understand what you're asking of me. This is silliness. This doesn't make any sense. They've already worked all night. They've caught nothing. We know that. And Peter knows you don't fish during the heat of the day. So he knows that this is not just a wrong thing to do, but it's going to be a waste of time. It's going to make him look ridiculous in front of all of the other fishermen. And sometimes, I need you to hear me say this, Sometimes the things that God is asking of you don't make sense to you either. Can I, can I be real with you for a minute? I mean, I'm not, I'm going to, so. <laughs> um, what is the last thing Jesus has asked you to do? What's the last thing he he looked to you and said, Simon, or Jeff, Chris, Mark. I mean, what's the, last, what's the last thing Jesus has asked you to do? Did it seem like silliness to you? <laughs> Did it seem like this was going to be a waste of your time? Did it seem like it's not something you wanted to do? Did it seem like Jesus doesn't know what's really going on in your life? Because if he did, he would never ask me to do this. This doesn't make any sense. Why, would he, why on earth would he ask me to do this one thing when I just did this one thing 24 hours ago? And he wants me to do it again? What is the last thing Jesus has asked you to do? Did it feel wrong? Did it feel stupid? <laughs> Let me ask you this, did you do it? And if you didn't, what would have happened if you did? We continue on in verse five and we see what happens when, when Peter says yes to the silly request of Jesus. Verse five, it says, Simon Peter answers Jesus and he says, master. He says, we have toiled all night and took nothing. <laughs> He's gotta let him know, this is stupid, I'm just saying. But at your word, I'm going to let down my nets. Luke's gospel is the only gospel that records any of the disciples calling Jesus master. 
Luke uses it six different times. The other gospel writers have the, the um, disciples using the terms like rabbi, teacher, Lord, or something. But this one is master, and master is significant. It's, it's like, someone going to answer that? Hello? It's significant because um, Jesus, Peter rather, is saying to Jesus, uh, like a worker would say to their boss, like, this makes no sense, but I'll do what you ask of me. Master, I will let my nets down. Verse six, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Now I wanna pause here. Can we go back to verse five real quick? Go back to verse five. Look at the second half of verse five. Peter responds, I will let down the nets. Verse six, and when they had done this. It's an interesting change there, isn't it? So it's in this moment right here, we begin to realize that Peter is not alone in the boat with Jesus. Up until this point, that's what I thought was happening. But there's other people in the boat with him. Most certainly Andrew, who is Simon Peter's brother. He's his fishing partner, he's in the boat, and quite possibly other hired hands. So the whole crew is in this boat, and Peter's having this exchange, not privately, right, but publicly in front of other people. He says, I'm going to let down my nets. And when they had done so, they enclosed a large number of fish. This was some miraculous, supernatural catch of fish in the middle of the day, which is unheard of. And they brought the other boats to help them pull up all of the fish. And it almost capsized the boats. Look here in, as we continue in verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. Their nets were breaking it's awful nice of you, Jesus, to break my nets. Jerk. <laughs> they signal to their partners on the other boat, which is James and John and Zebedee, their father. And they come and they fill up the boats and they almost begin to sink. All of that is taking place. Why? Because Jesus asked them to do something that made no sense. And their response was, okay. Or his response was, okay, I'll do it. I go back to the question, what's the last thing Jesus has asked you to do? And what would have happened had you done it? <laughs> I don't know. This is where it gets real good. I mentioned this is the third time that Jesus and Peter have had an encounter. Peter knows him as a teacher, as a miracle worker, as a rabbi. And now he sees him differently. Look here, look here in verse 8. And when Simon Peter saw this, saw it, Everything that had just taken place, boats overflowing with fish and water coming in. When he saw all of that, it says he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me from I am a sinful man, O Lord. That he fell down in front of Jesus. He saw Jesus' divinity in this moment. This is my argument. Uh, the smart word, if you want to have a smart word, is theophany. It just means an appearance of God. And there were many theophanies in the Old Testament where God would show up to people. And when he showed up to people, like Isaiah, for example, the prophet Isaiah, that they would oftentimes be overcome with their own sinfulness and brokenness. Isaiah in particular says, woe unto me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He just says, basically, I'm a sinner standing before God. And, and Peter has this theophany of sorts. Jesus is no longer just a rabbi, a teacher, a miracle worker. He sees Jesus' divinity. 
He sees him for who he really is. And in this moment, he falls to his knees in an act of surrender, worship, overwhelming amazement. I don't know, but he falls to his knees knees, and he says these words, get away from me because I'm a sinful person. See, if you know the old stories in the, in the Old Testament, that when people, sinful people would come before a holy and perfect God, they, they would oftentimes lose their lives. That God's holiness would, would just crush them and they would die. And, and Peter, and this is why I believe this, this is why Peter's on his knees and he's begging the Lord to leave him because if you stay, I'm gonna die in front of you. Because you don't know, I'm a sinful man. And it's like in this moment, everything that Peter has done to hide himself before his family and his coworkers and his own brother, Jesus has exposed in front of all of them. And he hits the floor in front of them. Here's my desire for you, is that you would know Jesus beyond just a good moral teacher that someone who's ethical and good, he's got a good life plan. (laughs) Like if you just model your life after him, it'll go okay for you. And if you'd move beyond that and actually see Jesus as the son of God, very God himself come to rescue you, it'll change your life. It'll change everything about your life. He says, get away from me for I am a sinful man. And everyone, verse 9, that were with him were all astonished at the catch of fish as well. And it says, verse 10, that they were, uh, James and John were with him, the sons of Zebedee, as as well as the partners with Simon. He says, "I, I, I can't hide this any longer in front of all of you. I want you to get away from me. The second half of verse 10 says this, and then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. So there's a confession that takes place. Jesus, you need to get away from me, bro, because I know who you are now. And if I stay close to you, I'm smoke." right? I'm toast. And then Jesus lovingly looks to him and says, well, don't be afraid. I love that because Jesus doesn't say, uh, how can I say this? He doesn't say to Peter, okay, Peter's just confessed. I'm sinful. You need to stay away from me. Jesus doesn't say, ah, you're, you try really hard though, don't you? You're a good person on the inside. You just make some mistakes. He doesn't say that to him. He agrees with him. And he says these words, but don't be afraid. Because what Jesus says next changes everything. He says, from now on, you. And then he begins to tell Peter what he's going to do for the rest of his life. And this comes on the heels of Jesus' divinity and his purpose in his life being finally exposed to Peter so that he could move forward in his life. You you can't get to those words from Jesus from now on, you are going to blah, 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 until you see Jesus for who he fully is. If he is only a teacher to you, he will never say those words to you. If he's only some miracle worker, genie in a lamp that you rub, hoping to get things from him, You'll never hear those words from him from now on you because he wants to transform your lives. And the only way that he transforms your life is when you see him for who he is. Is this making sense with anyone?
Jesus says, do not be afraid. It's going to be okay. And from now on, <laughs> again, the most hope-filled statement probably ever uttered in all of history. Jesus says that Peter now has a new future. He now has, to quote George Lucas, a new hope. I tried. Some of you know the joke and just, you think it's so stupid. I'm not going to laugh at that. That's okay. Um, God still loves you anyways. Yeah, he has a, a new hope for Peter. I wrote in my notes that the third time's a charm for Peter. I don't know. It's what it took. He's met him three times. Um, looking back on my own life, I wonder how many times I had an encounter with Jesus before I really saw him for who he was. I wonder how many times you have had encounters with Jesus, but you still haven't had that moment where it just hits you. You know what I mean? Peter, Peter gets there. He gets there. Like you, like me, he's been living a life trying to keep his best foot forward, trying to, <laughs> trying to manage the appearances of all things, right? And God shows up and exposes everything about his life. Maybe that's a little takeaway for us. Maybe if we stop hiding behind the facade of Instagram filters and, you know, pleasantries in the hallway at church and we actually get deep with one another and we actually confess. This is, what the, this is the language of James, right? To confess to one another and to let, let our brokenness be on display so that God can come in and, and, and minister and move in our lives. I was praying this morning and I'll, I'll finish with this. I was praying this morning for us in the church to hear those words from Jesus, from now on, you, dot, dot, dot. Like from now on, you are going to something, something, something. I think some of us need to hear those words from the Lord. I'll put my hand up first. I need to hear those words from the Lord. G Jeff, I, I know everything right up to this point. Like, Jeff, you're trying really hard, right? I'm, I put on appearances just like all of you. Like, I think about this outfit. This sounds strange, but I picked this this morning. Right? I think about how I look to you guys. Maybe you do as well. Maybe you don't. Some of you probably could a little more. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I don't know. It's, the, it's God's house. We speak the truth here, right? <laughs> But appearances matter. But I was praying this morning and I'm like, Lord, I'm tired. <laughs> I don't want to anymore. I don't want to play with you anymore. I mentioned earlier that my relationship with Stacy, my wife, got so much better when I stopped lying to her. And if she's listening, she's probably like, you used to lie to me? <laughs> A lot, honestly. I just wonder how much richer our relationships with one another would be if we just stopped lying to one another. I wonder how much deeper our relationship with the Lord would be if we just stopped lying to him. 
You know, sometimes we sing songs and I stand in the back and we'll sing songs like, uh, oh Lord, oh Lord, I need you. You know, we, and, and um, if I could be very pastoral and um, loving to you, when you're singing it, I don't believe you. I don't. I think it sounds great in your aisle. I think it sounds great to the person next to you. But I think the Lord sees right through it. I think it, it's, it's not a, a sweet-smelling uh, incense. It's Old Testament language, but it's, it's not sweet-smelling worship to him. It's, it's putting a filter on your life and giving him what's left over not letting him see the real you. And then, and then we, will, we will limp through life wondering why it doesn't get any better. It's because you're not, a le- you're not allowing him to be who he is for you. I need you on Sunday, but to get out of my business on Wednesday. I need you on Sunday, but get out of my business on Tuesday night. And on, on the weekends, Jesus, like, we're not going to be close on Friday and Saturday night because I got my thing, right? But on Sunday, we're tight. And we, and we just play this game with him. And I just... Peter got caught. And, 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 and like, Jesus snookered him. He says, hey, bro, come with me for a walk. Or get in your boat. Let's do this. And then, and then all of a sudden, he just revealed himself... And Peter fell before him. I pray that you would have an encounter with the Lord like that. That you have an encounter with God and that you would just fall to your knees and you would surrender. Everything I've done, God, you know. Everything I'm sorry for. And you just let him love you and serve you through all of that. And you look to the cross and what he's done, forgiving your sins by his own sacrifice of his own body, taking upon himself the due punishment for your sinful life, your sinful nature. He has bore it on himself. And let him speak those words. I know who you used to be, Jeff, but from now on, you Some of you don't even know there is a from now on for you. You don't even know that. Like, like you just think this is it. It's not it. There's so much more. From now on, you. And then Jesus just speaks into Peter's life. I don't think I read the last verse. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't remember. But, but it says that after this exchange, Peter and Jesus, um, it says that Peter, Andrew, James and John, all of them left everything and attached themselves to Jesus. And they followed him to the end. That's what the Lord wants for you. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. So maybe you'll get sick of coming to church and playing too. Maybe you'll just get real with him and he'll just change your life. Maybe all of that will happen. That's what I hope. That's what I pray. Um, You want to pray with me? Yes?
Lord, we need a, we need a word from you. We need a true word from you. God, what is the from now on for us? Lord, we stand before, before you um, humble, lowly, trusting your, your headship, trusting your guidance, trusting the work that you've done for us, Lord. We, we submit our own lives to you, Lord. We submit hiding to you. We submit faking it till we make it to you. We give up all deception and lies and we stand before you much like Adam and Eve, naked, exposed, and your great love covered them with animal skins. You made a way for them to move forward, Lord. We come before you asking that you would make a way for us to move forward. We know that Jesus is the answer. Help us to know, Holy Spirit, that Jesus is more than just a good moral teacher, that he is the son of God, that he is powerful. The work that he has done and completed on the cross is enough for us to move out of sinful desires and broken living into the fullness of God. We believe that here at Renaissance. We trust you, God. Help us to hear the, those words from now on, Lord. I ask, Holy Spirit, you would come and you'd speak to your people. Everyone in the room, from now on, you are going to be this. You are going to be this. You are now going to this. And you are liberating people. We just thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 